that the whole Christian thing, the whole church thing, that it's not just being religious or going to church or going through the motions, but there really is a gracious, powerful God who changes lives. And that even in this room, that this room really is such a miracle, that there's story after story after story of people like Brant who were lost and broken and under the power of sin. And Jesus reached out and grabbed a hold of them and said, I got something different for you. And I'm going to transfer you into my family and bring you into a community. And we're part of, we're, that's what this community is. And we've been transformed and we're being transformed. And we have, it's just crazy how God chooses. And we're doing this, this Roman series. We've talked about how when this letter was written to the early church in Romans, it was in the, in the very formative stages of that church in the city of Rome. And they were meeting in, in homes in the poor part of town. Not that many people. And then overlooked on the hills behind them was the center of power, the, the, the Roman Empire palace where the emperor lived, where Caesar lived. And there's this juxtaposition of like, oh, that seems like that's what's important. Kind of like here we are here and there's K-State and there's all the, like, you know, the powers and the money and the, the world. But in God's just wisdom and economy, he chooses weak, broken people like me and us and does something that only he can do and uses that to turn the world upside down. And that's, I'm just so excited we're a part of that. And I'm excited to be here today because I've been out of town the last couple of weeks talking at our partner churches while we were rotating. And the last few days have been, I just can't wait for Sunday. It's going to be so good to be here. So thanks for showing up today so I could be here with you. Thanks, Eric. It's good to be here. Um, we are continuing on through the, our series through the book of Romans and the theme of good news for everyone. And today we're looking at Romans chapter 7 and 8, which... You know, there, a lot of people would say, man, if you're going to pick out the, most, the book in the Bible that most encapsulates the message of the Bible, a lot of people would say, hey, it's Romans. And they would say Romans 8 is the pinnacle of that chapter, of that book. And there's a lot, there's a lot of truth in that, in the sense that in Romans we've been talking about how this good news of the gospel comes to needy individuals who need it, and how this good news changes us, and what that good news, how it works out in our individual lives. And Romans 7 and 8 really kind of brings to the pinnacle of this discussion of how the gospel changes us individually. Now, actually, we've still got eight more chapters of the book, and I think that's even more where God is going in this book, that it's not just us individually being changed, but then how we bring that message to others and how God builds a community of people. And it's, it's, we're just getting going, actually, so I can't wait for the next few weeks, but but, we're, but today, there's just some great stuff. This chapter is um, one of, a lot of people, if they're going to memorize one chapter of the Bible, they would memorize Romans chapter 8, because it's such a poetic, powerful encapsulation of God. And so today, we just want to kind of just feast, just marinate in some aspects of this good news that God has for us. And so, before I go on, I want to pray and invite you to pray with me, and let's ask God to really speak to us. Father... Lord, we just thank you that you are you're our source. You're the one who holds all things together. And you're the one who, who brings us into the life that we yearn for. And wherever we're at this morning, Lord, would you bring us revelation? Would you speak to us? We want to 
hear what you have to say. Would this be your word coming to us? We ask you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, how many of you have done what I seem to do more often than I wish? How many of you have said yes to something, and then you, not too long after that, are, find yourself trying to find a way out of that thing you said yes to? Yeah. And sometimes you're like, I want out, but I just, I don't know if there's a way out of this. I'm kind of I'm stuck here. I did that not too long ago. I maybe mentioned this several weeks ago. There was a, a friend of mine, a pastor friend, was teaching a biblical Greek class to some homeschool kids, and he invited some pastors, and I said yes to that. And I thought, and I, and I was like, you know, yeah, he said it'd be like an hour and a half class a week, an hour and a half homework. This is an area I've never taken that, I've never really learned biblical Greek. It'd be good. I've stretched my mind. I got into this class, and it became, but I was kind of on the fence. I knew I could, you know, it wasn't, I could like stop any time. So I wasn't sure, should I take this or shouldn't I take this class? It became not a question of should I or shouldn't I, but can I learn Greek or can't I learn Greek? Especially in my life right now with just the other things on my plate. And after about week four, I stayed up, I pretty much stayed up with all the like dative and genitive and all these different tenses of verbs and nouns and memorizing all this endings of words you have to change for everything. And then we got to the word the, the definite article, and he said, okay, now you need to learn the 20 ways that the is used in Greek. And that was when the coins sort of dropped, and I was like, you know, I just, I can't. <laughs> I can't do this. This is not going to work. And I came to the conclusion, all right, this is, there's, I do not have the ability to do this, at least not right now. And that is really the situation we find ourselves in, in, in as Paul, the author of, of Romans, is describing in Romans chapter 7. And we're just going to skip around for some highlights, um, be reading these, these chapters this week, you'll get a lot more out of it, but we're going to hit some, some highlights. In Romans seven eighteen, Paul writes this, and he says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Not, I want, and should I, but I just, I just can't. Isn't that, anybody else, can we, can we be honest here? Like, I think, and every honest human being who reads this is like, okay, that describes my life. At least I feel that way sometimes. Or I, I really want to do the right thing, but it just, it doesn't seem to be in me. It does, I don't seem to have that ability. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. And Eddie alluded to this, that it's important that we understand sin is not just, not only acts that we do, it is that, it is acts of disobedience, not obeying God's commandments, but sin is a power. There are spiritual forces, sin is a spiritual force that enslaves us, enslaves people. And so, it can't be just about like trying to do good things, but it has, we have to deal with these very real spiritual powers, and the, the power, spiritual power of sin. And I I think the time in my life where I first really realized this was as a child, and just the, I had the issue of anger and rage became so pronounced in my life. I found myself, and I had actually accepted Christ at this point, 
But I found myself just overcome with anger and rage and just lashing out and kind of like Brant was describing. I, I wasn't as tough as Brant. Like, I didn't fight people growing up, I, you know. But I did that with my siblings. And I remember just like wailing, like wailing on my sister's back, just out of control rage. And I remember after that just being so, so like at a loss, like, and going to God and saying, God, I, I can't stop doing this. I can't. I want to, but I, I can't. Will you, will you help me? And at that time in my life, God really miraculously intervened and changed something in my, in my heart. And I never really was under the power of anger after that. He, he really changed me. Um, but there are other manifestations of sin that haven't been so overnight deliverance in my experience. The battles against pride and lust and just, just being not very good relationally and discouragement and unbelief and some of these forces. They're, the, the, the battle with sin is, is very real. And we, we all experience that if we're honest or in touch with reality. Paul goes on in verse, verse 21. He says this, and he's writing as someone who, who has been born again, who God has come and lived inside him and changed his very core and his deepest desire of what he wants. He says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what's wrong. There it is. I love God's law with all my heart. So, man, that, there's a core part of me that really does love God's law, that really does want to do what's right. But there is another power within me that's at war with my mind. These are powers. Power of God, the power of sin. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And I just want to say this. This is hopefully a word of encouragement. That if you are experiencing the battle, you're actually in the right place. It's actually good if you're in the battle. Because that means you're a threat to the enemy. That if you're not just rolling over and going along with the battle, but resisting and not wanting to be in that, that's not a bad thing. That's part of the process that God uses to transform us and to bring us into more. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. In verse 24, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Rough place. But it doesn't stop there. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love that, how we're not left in a place of defeat. We're not, whatever our enemies are that seem to have the upper hand or may have the upper hand in different parts of our life, we are not left in that place. But there is an answer, there is a hope, there is a victory. And just as the power that holds us under it is not just a rule, or morals, but it's a power. What sets us free is not just principles or morals, but it's a person. It's the power of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And he sets us free. And so, that's, that's all we're going to say about chapter 7. It's basically laying out again, man, the problem. We were in this battle. There are these, there's this power of sin. We can't beat it by ourselves. But it leads into Jesus and the good news. And verse, chapter 8, verse 1. I, this chapter again has been so, so powerful. There have been books written about it. Uh, Bach wrote a whole cantata just putting this chapter to music. I, I heard that. I thought, oh, that's cool. I'll listen to that while I like, prepare for this message and meditate on it. So I did that. It was good, except it was 
in some European language, so it didn't help me. <laughs> I didn't think it was Latin. Um, but it was, maybe, I got the spirit of it, I think. But, well, in verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, this is so good. Coming out of chapter 7, you would have thought he would have said, Therefore, there's a whole lot of gloom and doom for the whole lot of us, because we're in a tough spot. But he said, no. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and really, this power of condemnation, speaking of powers, we can't, you can hardly overestimate how powerful condemnation is. I was talking to my, my oldest son, Adam. A lot of you know him. He's just started an MBA program at the University of Purdue. And a couple of weeks ago, they had a, a guest speaker come to his business ethics class. And this man was an accountant. And in the early 2000s, he was just very, very brilliant, very smart guy. He was working for a big firm, and his, his career was, just ri- was rising very quickly. And he was making bank, doing really well. But the company he was working for had some shady accounting practices going on. And he got swept into basically doing the same thing that everybody else was doing. And he was not a believer, but this, this, um, this wrongdoing started to gnaw away at him. And he knew it wasn't right, to the point that he finally went to the FBI and reported what was going on and was a whistleblower. And he didn't even like plea bargain. He just like said, he, I'm doing this and we're all doing this. And pretty amazing story. Through all this, his, his wife left him. He, he kind of lost every, everything. He lost his job. He ended up being tried in court, and he was a, became a convicted felon for his wrongdoing. And had to, could hardly find a job. Um, finally got a job for minimum wage doing accounting. And so here, this, this shame, this condemnation for his, his wrongdoing is just weighing over him, changing everything. But he's he, but he's become a believer, and so there's, there's a change on the inside, and he's rebuilding his life. And by the grace of God, he actually he, he starts to get promoted and finding a, find a new job, finds another job. He starts doing public accounting. And after a couple of years, he's doing a job for a, or he's doing an audit for a big corporation. And it's a, it's a $500,000 audit, so it's, it's, it's a big deal. And through no fault of his own, his company neglected to mention what they legally were required to mention was that he was a convic- convicted felon. And that was something that it's, it's like the scarlet letter. Like that just has to always be written with you after that's the case if you're in accounting. And they didn't do that. The company they were working for, it came out two days before the audit was due. And they said, forget it. We're not going to have this guy. We, you can't do that. It doesn't matter. We paid, we're paying $500,000, and he's, you know, we're, other people are looking at it. We're not going to do it. So they were scrambling, and all they could do, they, in, in two days before the audit was due, they finally found another company that would take it and do it and basically just take all their work and put their name on it, take all the work that he had done and put their name on it. But it cost them a million dollars. And I just think about that. Like, wow, how would it be to live with that condemnation? Just like, man, I am, this, this wrongdoing that I've done is following me. And it costs our company a million dollars because of that. And it may not cost us a literal million dollars, but the condemnation that can follow us, that the enemy tries to, to follow us with, just is like that. It's such a heavy price tag that, apart from the grace of God, we 
we will pay the price and be under that unless we experience the freedom. And this, this is good news that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We go on, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life, the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is no condemnation. The law of the Spirit gives life to us if we believe in Jesus and are in Him. We're set free. And there's, there's so much in here. Um, it goes, there's, there's life. There's no condemnation. There's, Jesus became a sin offering for us. And in this chapter, there's a whole lot of passion. There's a whole lot of poetic language. But there's also a lot of theological precision. And we're looking at theological doctrines of propitiation and justification and redemption and what God has done for us. And every, every sentence, is the words are chosen very carefully. And when Paul uses the word sin offering... A sin offering in the Old Testament was, were, were this, was an offering not for, it was not like a guilt offering when you said, oh man, I, I willingly committed this sin and here's a guilt offering for, for that sin. But a sin offering was when you broke God's law, either you didn't know what the law was or you broke it unwillingly. It was an offering for your sin. And I think that's powerful because there's a lot of that. And like for us as, who are believers and even when we're not believers, it's, we sin not because only because we want to. We do that as well. But we sin because we're under the power of sin. And God's gracious sacrifice comes and takes care of that through the sin offering of Jesus. In verse 5, we read, for those, and this is really the, the, the hinge of how we can experience life instead of condemnation from the law. It's the good news is for everyone, but not everyone experiences the good news. And now he's getting to the, the, the hinge of, okay, what is the difference between experiencing life or not? He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Isn't that true? That when we set our minds on the things of the flesh, when we set our, the, our minds on, on what someone's done to us, or our feelings or our circumstances, or our own life, or what we have a right to be bitter about, what we think we have a right to be bitter about, it just it leads to death. Or when we set our mind on our own, like trying to, trying to like be more disciplined, trying to be more religious, trying to work the plan better, it just it produces death. But when we set our mind on the Spirit, when we set our mind on God, on Jesus, on the good news, when we look to Him and focus on Him, that brings life and peace. Verse 6 says, For to set the mind, it's active, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And so we come into the kingdom of God, we first have to be forgiven of our sins by trusting Jesus. And then when we come in, we must continually look to Him and trust in Him and not do this by our own effort. Um, I want to just, the rest of our time here this morning, kind of unpack a few highlights from from chapter 8, about how life over the law and death and condemnation 
what are some of these truths that we can set our mind on that really help us to come into the life that God has for us? Help us to see and, and just marinate in the richness of what's won for us in Christ. Um, this first one we see in Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16. Paul writes, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. I love this picture. It's, it's describing how we, before Christ, and if we're not followers of Christ, if we're not believers in Jesus, we are slaves to sin. And that's kind of like being in the sex trafficking industry. It's like being a, a, a sex slave. Someone who has lost their freedom and come under the power of, of evil men, evil people, and you're not able to get out of that. And there are people and there are ministries in the world today that redeem people, that rescue people out of being sex slaves by paying money to those who hold them under their power and say, all right, we will purchase them. We'll purchase this person from being a sex slave and bring them into freedom. That's what God has done for us in the good news, in the gospel. He's purchased, he's, his, the cross is our redemption. It purchased our freedom. But it doesn't just stop there. God not only purchases our freedom from being slaves to sin, but then he adopts us into his own family. He makes us his own. He says, okay, you're a slave, but now you're my daughter, or you're my son. And, and that's just so powerful. Now we call him Abba, Papa, Daddy, Father. And that's what God does. It takes us from being like the most corrupt, broken, under the power of sin people. Say, no, you're, you're my own daughter. You're my own, you're my own son now. And he brings us into his family. In verse 16, we read, For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. This first aspect of the good news I want just us to focus on today is that the Father adopts sin slaves as his own heirs. And I love how it says, like, our spirit, his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. One of the first instincts that awake that we get when we become a when we get adopted into God's family is there's something in us that says, yeah, oh man, yeah, God's my father. I'm in this family. There's something that is awakened in us. I think about this with my own youngest daughter, Amzie, who's just turned nine yesterday. And like a month ago, we were in Kansas City and we were in Oak Park Mall. And Reagan, my wife, had the idea, hey let's let's just walk Amzie through the American Girl doll store. And if you don't know American Girls, they're like this special doll. They're like $100. <laughs> and they're pretty special. Our older daughter, she was, her grandparents got her a couple when she was 10 years ago, when she was young. And so Amzie has a couple that she can, plays with, and they're wonderful, but she'd never been in an American Girls doll store before. And Reagan's like, let's just walk through. It's kind of a cool experience. And then... They walked through, and then they left the store, and Amzie just started bawling because she so wanted an American Girl doll. Like, it was just like, oh, man, this is, like, this is amazing. And just like, she, she was overcome. Like, she just couldn't help it. This was just, and it was like, oh, great. Why did you walk her through that store? Like, 
she already has a couple. I mean, she's got some clothes and accessories. Like, she doesn't, like, she's got so much already. But then earlier last week, Ray goes, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be in Lawrence. I wonder if we should get Angie an American Girl doll. And just the instinct of, of me as her dad was like, oh, that would be great. Like, even though I think it's, like, cra- I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it whatsoever. But I get my little girl. And it's like, man, that's, like, that would be so cool. She would be so happy. And so we actually did. We, we went, we were in Lawrence. Her, Adam, our oldest son, was there for a day. We hung out with him. And then we just drove to Kansas City without telling our kids. And we walked up to the store, and I, MC was, like, napping, so I was able to walk in the store, and have, she wasn't even looking. We, we come in, she's like, wait, where are we? What's going on? But she's telling herself, okay, no, don't, like, don't get too excited. Like, I know what happened last time. <laughs> but then, like, MC, we're going to get you a doll for your birthday. And it was just, like, the best thing. We got her, there she is. Yeah, there's her American Girl doll. And she opened it last night. I mean, she'd already seen it, of course, two days earlier. But she's just so happy. And, like, that's God's heart towards us. Like, he wants the very best for us. And he wants the thing that brings us the most life. He, there's a spirit of adoption. Like, man, I'm going to give you the very best. It doesn't always look like what we want. But that's the heart of God. And it's so cool, though. He adopts sin slaves as his own heirs. And when I hear the word heir or inheritance... I first, my mind goes to money. It's like, ah, an inheritance. Yeah, that's like this sort of stuff, like the riches of God's blessings and goodness to us. Um, but that is, that is part of it. There are just so many blessings in coming into God's family. But being an heir is not only that. But being an heir means you are a manager of his estate. And so it's, an heir is one who like, inherits the family business. And is brought up into a place of managing that business and running that business. So it's like, Amzie would be like, okay, I got my American Girl doll, but I'm going to grow up and I'm going to own my own store. Or I'm going to have a franchise and I'm going to manage this business. And I'm going to help bring American Girl dolls to all sorts of little girls and make the world a better place. You know, this is, this is great. That's really what God brings us into. He's, there's blessings for us, but then it's, it's being image bearers, being, carrying out his mission in the world. We're, we're heirs of his kingdom, and we get to bring it to others. It's, it's, it's so awesome. So the father adopts sin slaves as, as his own heirs. Continuing on in, in this chapter, actually the middle of the same verse, it kind of takes an abrupt, sharp turn here. We are his heirs. But, watch out. If we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Wait, I thought this was good news for everyone. Why are you bringing suffering in here? For I consider, here's why, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. There is, in this mystery of this good news and God's way he works in the world and in our lives, that it's not only the obvious good stuff that we love, like getting an American Girl doll and the equivalent of that for you or me, but God's goodness is coming to us in everything, including the suffering. And there's, and the, and there's something in the hard times that God brings into our life that's even of more value 
then the, the stuff is not so hard. Um, but it's odd, you know, it's odd that in this pinnacle of the good news that there's a big focus on suffering. For the creation, verse 19, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. There's something more. As we are going through hardship, if we partner with God in that, there's something more that God is doing. And I've seen this phenomenon over and over again, that two people can go through the the same really tough thing, like get cancer. And in one person, that pulls them away from God, or they pull away from God through that experience. And they say, oh, how could this happen to me? There's no explanation of this. This is God. Where is God? And another person has the same experience, and they get closer to God. They turn to God in that, and they experience God's nearness, and God does a work in their life in the very same experience. And the second aspect of of the good news, life over law, is that in faithful hardship, God is bringing something more. In hardship, there is an opportunity to come into something more. And it's not guaranteed. It's not automatic. That's why it's in faithful hardship. It's when we have faith towards God, when we draw near to God in hardship, when we look to Him in the suffering, then we can come into something more. If we don't, when we don't turn to Him, God's still working, but we may not get, we oftentimes don't get the good thing that He wants to get in, in our life. But God wants to do something more. Um, and it's, I think about, it's really how God, through the cross, the cross had to happen before the resurrection. Jesus suffered for us. Jesus endured more pain and agony and hardship than we can ever imagine. But that was part of healing a broken world and the precursor to the resurrection. And it's not the same, but it's kind of the same. And that after we come into God's kingdom and experience his life, God invites us and he brings us into the same type of process. of We, exp- we go through death. We go through difficult stuff where God brings us to the end of ourself. But it's so that God can resurrect more, not only in our lives, but also in the lives of others, in the world around us. You know, we read a second ago that the world, the creation is longing for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. That as, and that's that formation of God in our soul. It's God doing something in us, us becoming the image bearers he's made us to be. The world is waiting, it's longing for that to happen. There's a purpose in our suffering. Um, and I don't want to like down. I don't want to make light of suffering. I don't want to make light of how tough it really is. And you know, I've been through a few things. I don't know that I, it's helpful to list like the hard things I've been through in my life. But I, I've been through a few things. You've been through some stuff. No one really knows what you've been through except you. And and in America, there's it, there are real reasons why like depression is very high rates, anxiety. Um, there there's and uh, the feeling of being alone, loneliness. There's, there are reasons why those are very real in our culture, and they really are real in our culture. And there really is, despite being so blessed materially, there are very real powers at work in our culture. Um, I don't, that's, there is something significant, but there is a purpose in that. And that's this purpose of God forming something in us that we become the people he's made us to be. And then we bring his life the world around us. In Romans 8.23, 
that says not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You know, in the meantime, the battle is intense. There's groaning. There's, there's intensity. It's, it's oftentimes not easy, but there is something good that God does through that as we press into Him. I remember when I was growing up, I loved sports and running, distance running, middle distance running was my, became the sport that I was most into and did the best at. And, but distance running is tough. There's a reason they're like, there's a subset of the population that says, oh yeah, running's great. And then there's the other, I don't know, three-fourths of the population that says, you guys are insane. Like, what is great about running? That's just pain. And it really is. I mean, you're out, especially the, the higher the level that you train at, it's just your, your run is basically like a whole lot of pain. That I mean, at some point, it's just like there, there's good feelings involved, and after you're done, it feels great, but, man, it's intense. But I remember I, early on in my, my high, school, um, high school career or whatever, I, I won a race, and it was kind of a big race, and it was very exhilarating, and I had this just revelation, like, in that moment afterwards, you know, all the agony of the training, it was so worth it. And like every like, moment of agony that I was going through, it was really worth it for this experience that I am experiencing right now. And I want to just train more. I want to run more because what it's produced is, is so worth it. And that's just you know, a very you know, shallow example, but, but that really is true about the training that God has us in. That, and I'm not making light of, of suffering or injustice or any of that, but it is completely true that God uses that for good. And that's what we see in this, this famous verse in Romans chapter, chapter 8, verse 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now he's writing, Paul's writing to the Romans who are entering into some very intense persecution with Caesar Nero, who's one of the, probably the most famous persecutor of the early church. Uh, he, he had Rome burned down and then blamed the Christians for it. He would literally have his, his dinner parties, his, his parties, and take Christians and pour wax on them and then light them on fire as torches for his party. I mean, there was a very intense persecution that this, this Caesar was responsible for. But he said, we know but for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's purpose for us is he knew us, and he predestined us, he called us, for this process of transformation, this process of becoming the kind of image bearers he made us to be. Becoming the, forming something in our character, in our soul. Overcoming that the flesh and the part of us that was under sin. Making us the people that represent him at a very high level so that he could be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's this process of him working in our life. He justifies us. He makes us just as if we'd never sinned. And then he glorifies us 
he was like, man, that's, are we really supposed to be seeking glory? Like, yeah, there's something. God is interested in our glorification and us living a glorious life, becoming the people he's called us to be. And you know, there's, I really want to encourage us in that because the world, the, God, it matters to God and it matters, the world needs it. And as you are going through tough times and even the toughness of the discipleship process, the toughness of the transformation process, the toughness of, man, this, I don't know, this situation or what I'm facing, I really want to encourage you to lean into, God, what do you want to do in me? Not, what's, how can you change this circumstance? But God, what do you want to do in me? Because it's not, it is about you, but it's the world needs that process to happen in you. And that, that is, as we lean into that and as we embrace the transformation that God brings us into, the world is set free and comes into what God has for it. So that's the second aspect of this, this good news to just, man, just really marinate on. The third part is that Christ's love for us withstands everything. Christ's love for us withstands everything, including condemnation. I just want to read this, this, sum, this summation of the chapter. In verse 31, Paul writes, If God is for us, who can be against us? And this is good news. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 33, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, he is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, no matter what we're experiencing, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Christ's love for us withstands everything. And that's, that's good news. And you know, a lot of times we hear that, but it's hard for us to really believe that. We're, we're like people who have PTSD in a lot of ways. And we, I've, we're in a military town. I've, you probably know people with PTSD. I've got a good friend in my neighborhood who went to Iraq and he's an officer in the army and he came back very changed with very very serious PTSD and every you know it's been years of him trying to overcome that and just everything's different now and the 4th of July is not a fun event for him because every time he hears an explosion every time he hears a firework the association is of an explosion and he's thinking of the type of experiences that Brandt described that he experienced of losing people and um, being betrayed and to the in, just the, the, the trauma and the, the injustice of it all, really. And even though he knows, and if you tell him, okay, this is, these are fireworks, they're to celebrate America's independence and the victories that we've won over the British and our history, this is, this is actually a, a good association. But the connect from his mind to his, his soul, his, his heart, that's, that's not the same. And for us, it's, it's really the same. If, when we're going through life, if we are followers of Jesus, the, the traumas and the difficult stuff that we experience, if we really understood what was actually true, 
it would be like fireworks. It would be like, okay, Jesus has won the victory for us. And now this is a place in my life where God is bringing greater victory. And it's a celebration of the victory I have. But our, our, the way we think, it takes a while. It's, it has to be transformed to catch up to what is, what is actually true. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna, to um, participate in communion together. We're going to take of the cup and the, the bread, remember what Jesus has done for us. And really, I want to invite you to be leaning into Jesus and the truth of what he's done for us with, his, with the cross and his resurrection. And maybe this morning, maybe you need to come out from the power of sin. Maybe you've never come out from that power. And God's inviting you to say, you know, repent, turn away from sin, and Acknowledge me as your Savior and your Lord, and I will bring you into a new place. Maybe the power of condemnation has been just, you've been under that. And this is a chance to say, no, Lord, I believe there is no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus because of what you've done for me. Maybe God is helping you to see that he's bringing something out of your suffering, out of your hardship. And you're taking this cup saying, Lord, I'm taking this cup with you. And believing that your victory is coming through in my life and the world around me. Um, whatever it is, it's a chance to, to set our mind on what, what God has done for us. And so before we go back, let's just bow our heads and, and pray together. Let's pray this prayer with me. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in my life and help me to see how your good news how your life how you're bringing your life to me Lord I want to see that and I want to come into it more fully thank you God now when, whenever you're ready if you want to linger in your chair for a little while feel free to do that Whenever you're ready, you can go ahead and go to the back of the room and get the cup and the, the bread, and then we'll come back to our seats and, and take communion together.